Hi, I'm Dan Krinas, host of the Leader of Learning podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and I've got Mike Palucci. He's with me today. He's the founder and CEO of SLU, a digital education platform teaching students to explore space via a network of online telescopes. Oh, this is so awesome. This is just so cool. It's going to make you think about, hey, I think I, I want to do that. I want to go look into space and do this online platform so I can control a, a telescope that way and take a look at what I want. You know, this is neat stuff. I got this phrase stuck in my head, space, the final frontier. <laughs> Great talk today. You're going to love it. Thanks for listening. And by the way, can you help me out? It'd be so cool if you would go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left a review for the podcast. Could you do that? You know, you could also go to Apple or any of those podcast platforms you listen to me on and uh, leave me a review that way. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings found on the web at boonrings.com is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Michael Palucci is an internet entrepreneur and a pioneer of online advertising, as well as online video editing, online labor marketplaces, and social astronomy. Michael is currently the founder and CEO of SLU, a digital education platform teaching students to explore space via a network of online telescopes, which I think is so cool. He, he holds a patent for live astronomy. Michael founded one of the first advertising network companies called Interactive Imaginations Incorporated, which became 24-7 Real Media Incorporated. 24-7 Real Media Incorporated was sold to WPP Group. And uh, we got so much to talk about. And Mike, I'm glad you're here to, to join me today. Uh, say hi to everyone. Hey, Stephen, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about uh, what we're doing with SLU. I'm glad you're here, and uh, this is so cool. I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by space, and uh, you know, I've uh, lots of it uh, is thanks to science fiction, but lots of it's growing up in Florida during a time when the Apollo missions were constantly going up, and then the, and then the space shuttle and stuff like this, and you know, it, it wasn't close enough to to be right there, but you still could see it on a clear day. It's, it's awesome. So yeah, uh, well, it's the uh, the new space age is upon us, and people are uh, seeing about it and reading about it and thinking about it every single day. Um, so uh, what we designed is a way for them to experience it for themselves. I love it. I love it. I, so let's let's do something here. Let's let's start with this. You're a pioneer of online advertising and video editing. Could you share share just a little bit about what you worked on and uh, what you created? 
Yeah. So I've been a technology entrepreneur for my career. Right after I got out of college, I started what became one of the very first internet advertising networks. Um, this is in the uh, early 90s. Um, 93, just as the internet was getting going, I was 23 and uh, decided I didn't want to have a real job. So I, I went off with a friend and and uh, we started making games, actually. These uh, games called Riddler, uh, very similar to Wordle in a way. It was like trivia and crossword puzzles that people would compete um, for prizes. And sort of like a game show, but a game of skill and, you know, intellect. Um, but you could win like cars and things like that. Um, and we had to figure out how to get people to pay for these games because there was no way to give anyone money on the internet back then. Um, so we started pioneering this internet advertising capability. And one of the games we made was this scavenger hunt that you would go look for clues all over the internet. And we had partners like Netscape and Yahoo distributing the clues. And in order to make the game dynamic, we wanted to be able to serve the clues up from our own server so that they would change all the time and we'd have control of them. And then we started putting ads in the clues. And then we realized, wow, this capability was allowing us to serve ads onto third-party websites. And so we morphed from just being this little game company to um, representing all of these websites in serving and selling their advertising. And that really took off and, and merged. A couple of companies merged um, to compete with DoubleClick in the, in, the, in the late 90s. And we went public in 98. And, um, and that really, uh, that was my first business experience. I was 25 and 100 people working at the company. And it was, was really all we could do to keep from having panic attacks every day. But, um, but uh, I, I love being an entrepreneur. And that's what I've uh, done with the rest of my career. That is awesome, especially because, man, you got me going back uh, thinking and you're 23, 25 years old. Oh, my gosh, man. That's that's so, that's so cool. And we've come a long ways since then because, like, 93, I worked at a school that had these funny little boxes called Mac Classics. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I so remember, I mean, we had to spend hours and hours trying to figure out how to put like the IP address into the browser to get mosaic to connect to the internet. And, you know, there's these layers upon layers that we've watched be built over the years that take away all of that information. Now my own children, like they don't have a clue how any of it works. They just refer to everything as, as Wi-Fi. And I can't even explain to them the difference between, you know, the internet and Wi-Fi. They don't care. It's just, you know, all I hear is when it goes out and then we need it back on. <laughs> That's funny. I, I there's a there's a English TV show from the early uh, 2000s that uh, where the uh, the IT guys convinced the uh, the manager who didn't know anything that uh, the internet was actually this box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that. Dilbert. That's it's probably Dilbert. <laughs> it's good stuff. The uh, it's, oh my gosh, man! Talking about uh, it's it's just funny thinking about how kids wouldn't even know it as hard as you would have worked to try and make some of those things happen because there's nobody else doing it. You're really literally trying to blaze a trail there, and uh, you know that's that's awesome. Kudos! You know, it's like stuff. sediments of civilization, and you know you don't really know what's twelve you know layers below you. You just know what your own reality is. I love it. That is so cool. It, it's even 
it's cool meeting you, Mike, but it's even cooler now. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, man, you're beginning. You helped jumpstart my world back in those days. So thank you. <laughs> so good stuff. I mean, you're the founder and CEO of SLU, a digital education platform teaching students to explore space via a network of online telescopes. You know, what's SLU's why? I mean, what's his purpose? Well, I, I guess on the one hand, um, I just feel strongly that there's not enough that connects us um, as earthlings, just at the basic level of, hey, we're one species living on this rock, looking out into space. You know, there's so much, obviously, that's divisive in our culture, um, and there should be more that connects us. Um, You know, we share a common destiny, obviously. And so, you know, that was kind of the original concept, just can we – build technology that makes the view from a telescope come in live so people can kind of gather around the campfire and share ideas about it. And nothing like that had ever been done. Um, You know, I learned when I started designing this, um, we got a patent on the process to make an image come in live like a Polaroid from a telescope to the internet and really pioneered this idea of social astronomy that, you know, Uh, the community is going to be in control of the telescope and everyone is going to get to look together. And even though one person can be in control of that telescope um, over a five or 10 minute mission, as we call them, everyone else will get to look live. We'll get to capture the data. And then we'll just try to foster a conversation amongst people about, you know, what it is that we see out there And I think it's so important for people to um, experience it directly. It's, you know, a little intimidating, I think, things like space and astronomy. Um, You know, we all look at Hubble. We've all seen those amazing images, you know. But after you look at five or ten of them, you know, you're a little bit desensitized as to what you're actually seeing because you don't know. And in some ways you think, boy, you know, I have to be a rocket scientist, uh, you know, in order to do this kind of thing. And, and I think, you know, we're trying to dispel that myth. Um, we like to channel, you know, the rat tattooie, uh, you know, mantra of, you know, anyone can cook, anyone can do astronomy. Um, and, you know, in some ways you reference the, you know, the original computers from, from Apple. I mean, we like to think of what we are to the telescope. That's what Apple was to the original kind of personal computer. You don't have to fiddle with motherboards and figure out how to put the whole thing together. It's really about what can you do with a computer. Same thing for us with telescopes. We've connected these telescopes um, online from some of the best observatories in the world. We own and operate the equipment. And you know, for you, the end user, you get to just log in and take control of these telescopes and look into space. And you don't have to actually know a ton about the inner workings of a telescope in order to see space and dream about space and, and think about what it all means to us. Um, you know, our position in the cosmos. That's so cool. This is <laughs> wild. I, you know, just as a note, I mean, and, and I forget the year it's either 86 or, uh, 85 when, uh, I was taking a, uh, astronomy class um, at my university, primarily because I, I, uh, I was getting science and history. I was getting a degree in history, and, and uh, I wanted to take some science classes, too. So I had physics and all kinds of stuff like this, and, and I saw astronomy there. And I'm like, and if you, were, if you took the class, then you um, would be included in the group invited to the observatory the university had um, so you could see Halley's Comet. 
And so I took the class and yeah, whew, that was physics and math heavy. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, uh, oh my gosh, man, this, I thought this was, I thought this was going to be you know, like <laughs> dreaming and talking about the stars and getting into all this. And I'm going, wow, this was, I didn't know it was, you know, it should have said, caution, this is a math class <laughs> or physics yeah, class or something. Right. But Nothing right, against 1986, that. 1986, Haley's Comet. Everybody was tuned into that. And um, I certainly uh, uh, empathize with what you're talking about. Um, it doesn't have to be all about science. You know, the, the reality is space is in our poetry. It's in our music. It's in our art. It's everywhere. It's fundamental human nature to be curious about space. I mean, of course it is. You know, just like every kid wants to understand the dinosaurs, they, you know, people want to know you know, wh where are we in this big, vast, you know, sea of space? Um, and so we really try to connect it to a complete STEAM curriculum so that really any child, any, you know, any adult also um, can look up and think about it and, and you know, express themselves in this amazing context. Um, and, and again, you know, the science is an important component of it. Um, but it's just one piece of the puzzle. And there are obviously just many more questions that we don't know the answer to that require uh, your imagination to sort of fill in around. Um, you know, that's really uh, the purview of everyone. That's so cool. I mean, because, because, and by the way, for all those people listening to me who are about to write me emails about uh, being a hater of math. That's not my point. I like math. All right. I, I like math. That's why I need to, I like space and I like science. All is good. Physics is awesome. Um, but it was, but it's so cool to be able to have this control to be able to go look at this. I mean, I had to stand in line at three in the morning to, to be at this observatory with all these other college students going, why are we out here? And then you stood in line, you got to see Haley's comment, which. Yeah. And, and the reality is it's a privilege that you have that opportunity. Um, you know, most people live, 80% of the world's population lives, you know, totally surrounded by light pollution. You really don't have much of a connection to the night sky anymore. I mean, the average Mayan of 5,000 years ago was more in tune with the night sky than, than we are. And for the schools that are situated in those areas, um, they have really no ability to, you know, have telescopes. And the reality is that even if you were in a slightly better area away from light pollution, you're probably in a place that's full of cloud cover all the time. And then it's just not really practical for um, students to come back at night and do astronomy. You know, oh, we planned it for next Tuesday and it's clouded out. And, you know, nobody wants to go back to school at night anyway. So, you know, this is the unfortunate reason why telescopes are not as ubiquitous in schools as, let's say, microscopes. And so we're trying to change that and we are changing that. And, you know, what's, what's, you know, the opportunity that's opened up for us is, you know, with all this um, digital education, there's now an opportunity for an app like ours that is a, you know, digitally native, digital native application um, to ride that wave where students are already plugged into, you know, computers at school and so are teachers and so now there's this opportunity for the teacher and the students to sort of take the, the online telescope off the shelf, if you will, and decide we're going to look at space. And it doesn't have to even be in a science class. It can be in a fourth or fifth you know, grade homeroom class with a teacher who is not you know, necessarily a scientist, but wants to make space a theme of the year because it's you know, uniquely engaging for kids. And so we're trying to enable that. And really the, the core of our innovation is the scalability of it. 
just the fact that an unlimited number of students can be controlling these telescopes um, together as part of a social experience is actually better than doing things like astronomy alone, where you go out in the dark and you might be afraid and, you know, you're out there, you know, solitary. That's not for everyone, but, you know, we make it uh, a social experience with kids all over the world. And this idea that, hey, I'm controlling the telescope right now, and here's what I'm pointing it at and why, and then other people pile into your mission, and then everyone experiences that together. Um, you know, that's that's also just crucial to how it can scale and scale affordably so that everyone can have access to this. And as we said at the outset, everyone's hearing about space all the time, and they're excited about it, but then there's actually very little opportunity for them to have their own direct connection to it. And so, you know, with all these, all this money pouring into the space industry and all these jobs that are coming, there's a great opportunity for, for educators and administrators to recognize that, that space exploration and astronomy deserves, um, you know, greater place in the curriculum especially because it connects to all of these other things that kids need to learn. And so we're, we're chipping away at that. It's an uphill battle, but we're really pushing um, administrators to think about this, not just as this little supplemental side dish, but that, that space and space exploration can really um, motivate students to want to learn the scientific method, um, you know, you know, much more than some of the other sciences that they're currently being, um, let's say, force fed. Nice. I like that. The, uh, so I, I got to ask you this. I, so, you know, I, I'm guessing that you have an interest in space, that this is not just something that uh, <laughs> you, you created a, you know, a world around. Um, where'd that come from? Well, I guess there's a couple of things. Number one, you know, in my heart, um, when I built that, internet advertising network in the nineties, I sort of, you know, saw over, you know, a 10 year period that, you know, the, the internet didn't exactly live up to its original promise in some ways it, as it became commercialized. And, you know, it was just started obviously within academia and supposed to be this wonderful mechanism for sharing knowledge. And then, you know, fast forward to today and, you know, even companies like Google that I think, you know, are well-meaning, you see all the sort of what I'd call information pollution they cause by people trying to game their, their search algorithm and all the commercialization around it. And in fact, it's not that easy to find, you know, valid information you're looking for without somebody trying to sell you stuff and tell you something that will lead you to want to buy the thing that they're selling and so you really have to wade through all that information. So I tried to build this as, as sort of a sanctuary away from all that. Um, there's no advertising or commercialism within it. Um, it does cost money to, you know, subscribe to it. Although we do make it free for Title I schools across the United States through our adjacent foundation, which you can apply for at, at slu.org. Um, um, but really just this idea that, it's just going to be pure knowledge and information and education and try to live up to the, you know, the original promise of the internet. I almost felt like this was part of my community service that I needed to do um, on the backside of, of having participated in building this advertising mechanism. And that was one key motivation. And then the other um, is sort of, you know, very personal. Um, I was living in New York city, you know, where I'd started my first company 
And, you know, right after that company went public and, you know, I made, you know, a bunch of money off of it. Uh, my best friend was killed on 9-11. Um, he worked, uh, you know, on the 100th floor of, of, of Tower One at, at Cantor Fitzgerald. And I wanted to do something in his honor. And I didn't know what that should be or could be. Um, didn't necessarily believe in the response of, you know, of, of more bullets and bombs. And, and um, you know, I just... This was my way of trying to express my feelings for him, uh, which was to build this this uh, mechanism of you know communal goodwill and sort of promote you know enlightenment and camaraderie, and also challenge people to um, you know ponder our spiritual place in the cosmos. You know, uh, almost a you know a, a bit of a confrontation to you know religious fundamentalism that killed them. Let's think about, you know, hey, we're now here on this planet. We know so much about, you know, how we're situated. And, you know, looking up into space, um, you know, as Carl Sagan has always um, inspired me to do, um, to think about, you know, what, what is mankind's place in this whole thing? And should we think about how to reinvent our spirituality in that context? And so that's what inspired me to, to create it. That's awesome. I appreciate you explaining that. And there's nothing better than watching that show that Carl Sagan uh, um, narrated billions of billions. Of <laughs> yeah. Your voice sounds a little like his. You could do some good voiceovers. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Um, cool stuff. I mean, so let's talk a little bit because you've touched on some of this. I mean, you know, what would you hope that participating in SLU would do for students and families? Well, I mean, for one, it's just, um, you know, it takes you out of your daily grind. It's kind of meditative. You know, all of everyone's problems, they seem, you know, they're right in front of your face and you get a chance to step back and think about a, a much bigger, grander picture. Um, I think there, I think that's soothing in, in many of the ways that, you know, religion and spirituality is soothing. Um, so it's just calming to kind of look up and see things. Um, it's also empowering to, to see what things are and to see and to, to, to learn that you can understand them. I think things that are uh, very intimidating, like space exploration, um, when you conquer the, those sorts of things by breaking it down and training your mind's eye to see, um, you know, you really, uh, you gain confidence in the way uh, you can try to analyze anything. Um, I think there's a lot of power in the fact that um, what we're offering is a connection to the real world, to the natural world. It's a little ironic that it comes through these devices. Um, but, you know, mostly what people experience on their computer is an animation or a simulation and everything's sort of teed up and it, it won't go too wrong, you know, if you do this or that to it. Um, and with this, you're, you know, you're taking control of a telescope that's halfway around the world and you have to understand everything about the night sky and how it rotates and all the conditions that impact your ability to gather data from that object, um, including, you know, local weather and the moonlight and even when's the sun going to rise and set. And so all of that, I think, um, is good for people because it connects them to the natural world, which you know, more, it's just harder to experience. Um, people live in cities, you know, you, you just don't have that much of a connection to it. And I think um, 
you know, experiential learning of just like, you're not sitting back watching somebody else do something or listen to somebody tell you something or entertain you. You're actually on your device the way it was designed to be used, you know, with a keyboard leaning forward with your brain, you know, in the game, trying to figure something out and you get a payoff at the end. And the payoff is you've collected this data, you've collected these imagery, this imagery. And, you know, it's like the difference between, I don't know, seeing somebody else's photo of the Eiffel Tower and you going to Paris yourself and experiencing, you know, Paris and taking your own photo of it. You know, that's what this experience is about. And I just think it, it lights up your brain and then you remember it because you had to actually do something to learn it. That's so cool. Cause that it's, it, it, I mean, it really does, you know, being able to participate, to be able to, first of all, know what you're doing, which is you're manipulating, you know, you're using a telescope and somewhere and, uh, and you're being able to take a look at stuff that, uh, you know, you'd have to just look at pictures or be on the internet and see all that sort of stuff. And, you know, and it's, and it's funny because over the last bunch of years, although I can't believe that they're really kind of vintage now, but the, you know, the rovers that went to Mars, um, and it was, you know, a long time ago, there was a Viking project that, you know, was sent to, uh, Mars. And I remember being fascinated by, you know, kind of sort of parachuting and crash landing on the, uh, on the planet and not really operating on it. And so then we have this stuff that operates on the planet and it, it makes you think about what's out there. By the way, I had a friend who his favorite thing to talk about is, uh, the, the planet that's completely, um, inhabited by robots, <laughs> uh, which I think is funny. Um, but you know, the, the point is, is that, you know, just your, it just makes your imagination go wild when you can see, and it's right there. You don't have to go stand in line at three in the morning. You don't have to go wander around, uh, you know, at some, uh, big place where you may or may not see anything because of the light, like you said, and, and the yeah. issues with that. And it's just, it is just so cool. I mean, and and we're trying to build this network up. We have so we have instruments in the Canary Islands at the Institute of Astrophysics of the Canary Islands, which is home to the largest telescope in the world, as well as Santiago, Chile, to see the southern hemisphere um, objects in space. And and we're building an observatory in the United Arab Emirates right now with our partners there, the University of Sharjah, and translating SLU into Arabic and connecting all of their um, Emirati school children to the network. And we have a relationship that we will soon uh, announce um, in the Himalayas. And so that would give us 24 hour coverage of the night sky. So literally any time of day you log in from anywhere, um, you'll be able to look up and explore space. Okay, that's cool. That's awesome, and good luck with all of that. I can't wait till that all happens. I, so now I've talked about students and families. I mean, and you've mentioned a little bit about this. I mean, how do you envision schools and teachers using SLU? So we have a curriculum um, that uh, we, we sort of have curated the top 1,000 things to see in space. And then within that, we've developed all these learning activities we call quests, and the entire experience is gamified. You're in gravity points for learning on SLU and for sharing what you've learned and having other people upvote that content. And so everyone starts at the Ptolemy level, who, of course, believe that, you know, the sun revolved around the earth. And then you get educated and you work your way up to the Hubble level. Um, but in the course of that, you do these uh, these quests 
learning activities, which are curriculum aligned for fourth grade um, to college 101. So we have a lot of different types of schools using SLU um, from junior colleges and small colleges that don't have observatories, um, high schools all over the world. And as I said, you know, fourth and fifth grade homeroom teachers who are, you know, not scientists, but they're able to explore space with this and follow these step-by-step self-directed learning activities, which they can either do, you know, from the front of the classroom um, with one account and maybe give out a couple of little accounts to some of their kids to sort of help them do it. Um, But really, as I said, it's supposed to be a hands-on learning activity. So after the teachers come on board and we offer free professional development um, with the subscription so that everyone who is, you know, on the platform is learning from other teachers how to do it. Part of the wonderful thing about SLU is it's all community driven. It's really decentralized education platform. So um, a lot of teachers from around the world who use and love SLU are actually leading our professional development sessions and teaching other people how to do it, other teachers how to bring it into their classrooms. Um, But then ultimately, once the teacher gets a handle on it, then they turn around and give it to their students. And then the students can go and do this at home or at work, uh, I'm sorry, at school. And, um, you know, and because the time zone shift, obviously with the telescopes, it's a, it's a more reasonable time than, you know, staying up till four in the morning to, you know, capture that object you need for your, for your homework tomorrow. I love it. I love it. Uh, any discoveries yet? Any of your, uh, your participants, uh, find anything that they think might be uh, different or something unique? Well, we, we, um, we do have a reputation for um, tracking asteroids and, and discovering asteroids uh, that are near, you know, near earth asteroids that are, you know, close to making an impact. Um, we have made quite a few submissions to the minor planet center, which tracks asteroids um, so that we can, as a, you know, as a society better understand their orbit um, it's kind of a longish story, but you know, that's the, one of the types of things that people like to do on SLU that I would consider a citizen science project that, that our members teach new members how to do. And, you know, once you learn how to track an asteroid and you make a submission like this, you know, you can feel that you're contributing to, you know, our survival, that we will have a shot at outliving the dinosaurs because maybe, you know, that asteroid or comet that's going to collide with Earth, maybe we'll know about it well enough in advance because of somebody on SLU, some 15-year-old, you know, kid, uh, you know, discovered it and sent it into the Minor Planet Center. And we realized that its orbit is a little different than we thought it was, and it might be on a collision course. And so perhaps uh, there's enough time, you know, for us to do something about it. I love that. The uh, And it just... uh lends itself to so many thoughts because especially because <laughs> it's a little scary thought, but, uh, um, and of course there's been books and movies written about that. And, and now you've really got the, the ability instead of someone's imagination that someone is out there watching out of their basement or something, you got a nice little connectivity going all around the world where they're watching and they're looking. So uh, I love that. That's, that's awesome. I, I, so you, you kind of mentioned and went to this place a little earlier, but I got to take us where we're just focused on it. So with all of this talk about space and all that, um, is space exploration important to us? Why or why not? What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's important um, just 
doesn't necessarily have to be sending robots to planets, you know, although I certainly support that too, relative to how much money we spend on other things, like let's say the military, which is, you know, $800 billion and change a year. We spend $20 billion, um, you know, as Americans on NASA. Um, it seems like an appropriate amount of money. Um, but just within the context of our whole mission of, you know, building community as earthlings, um, you know, I don't think of it short term as so much a survival thing that if we don't do this, we won't figure out how to, how to endure as a species. But, you know, it's always been our, uh, you know, mindset to explore and, you know, that's what we need to keep doing. That's, I don't think humans would ever have it any other way. And um, we just need to do this, you know, in collaboration and and figure out ways to work together, which countries do. Um, but I think, you know, what's not done enough is bringing the population along. I feel like, you know, it's a little bit too much of the high priests of science are telling us all, you know, what's out there and, you know, it's not enough of people actually having an opportunity to do it for themselves. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. I touched on some of them. It's a little weird too, that there's sort of a dirty little secret with telescopes, which is that even if you go buy a telescope and it tells you it'll point to 5,000 objects, you're not going to see those objects, you know, because you can really only see the moon or a planet or two, you know, with your naked eye. And then you have to, you know, you have to really have a pretty decent sized instrument and a pretty high caliber camera and a whole sophisticated mount system that will allow you to take long exposures. And that's not really the moment of outdoor wonder that people expect to have. So it doesn't really turn into anything. You know, you're, you're that parent, that well-meaning parent, you buy that $300 telescope at Walmart, you go home and you're gonna take your kids, you know, exploring space and it just doesn't happen. So that's why we've launched this, this new tier that's $9.95 a month. It's like a Netflix style subscription. You get five accounts as a family. You can give them out to, you know, nieces and nephews and grandkids and, and you know, give everybody this opportunity to explore space just like a professional astronomer does via a computer interface to an online telescope. And that's that's hopefully gonna be one of the ways that you know this this mindset of exploring space becomes something we all do. It's not just billionaires, you know, going on joyrides or you know some some Einstein you know figure telling you what's there um and then and then I feel like you know it's it's something that brings us all together you know or has the power to do that but people have to be actively participating in it yeah that's so cool because what you're talking about there is by making it possible for anybody to have an interest because unlike the billionaires who have these, <laughs> I like the way you said it, the joy rides. <laughs> um, you know, it's it, just the idea of being able to, to look when you want, to see when you want, and then just, and then thanks to some of these other programs that are going on around us with, um, you know, other people putting other, you know, putting people into space or the thought about colonizing or, 
sending your car to another planet, <laughs> whatever. Um, but the, the point is, is that uh, it's, it just really continues to generate, uh, you know, thoughts about what it would be like. And I mean, I, I, if nothing else, it's just a, I mean, a, one of the <laughs> mind explosion sorts of things is the thought about if you were at that planet, if you'd made it that far, and is there a time difference so that amount of time that it took you to get there, and then if you went to the planet and all of that, and I, that just, yeah, that, well, yeah, that's, when we start talking about stuff like that, I start going, whoa, time out, man. But it's cool because it makes you think and have interesting discussions instead of blowing each other up. So, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where absolutely. I'm going. Absolutely. Good stuff, man. I, I, if you, Mike, if you had a chance to talk with an audience of students and their parents, what would you want them to remember about your talk about SLU? Well, I guess what I said is just it's a, it's space is approachable. It's open. You know, anyone can do it. And, um, you know, hopefully with tools like ours, um, people will take that opportunity. But there's no reason to be intimidated by it. And I think if you actually tune your antenna to it, you'll realize just how much it's in our culture, how much it's in our music and our art and our literature and so you can find all these different ways to uh, approach a connection with space. You do not have to be a scientist to do it, although we love scientists who help us uh, explain and actually get this whole thing to work, um, which is so important. Um, but, but I just want to send that message that, uh, you know, anyone, anyone can cook. That's an awesome message. I love it. So cool. I, um, Mike, we're getting ready to close. And before we do that, can you let everyone know where they could uh, connect and learn more? Yeah. So if you just go to onlinetelescope.com um, or slu.com, S-L-O-O-H.com, um, they'll take you to the same place. And there's something there for families and something there for teachers and schools. That is awesome. So cool. Uh, do you want to say one more word about your foundation? Yes, so this is open to any Title I school um, in the United States or the equivalents around the world, and you can apply as a teacher, and we will make sure that you get SLU for free so that you can bring uh, space exploration to, you know, where are mostly um, urban, light-polluted students who have, you know, maybe not the wherewithal to travel to the mountains or to the seas to see the night sky in all its glory, um, you know, things like SLU are the only way for people to experience the night sky and to also have uh, their eyes opened um, to, you know, future vocational opportunities in the space industry. So uh, please take us up on that offer. That is awesome. That is awesome. And I'll have those links in my show notes and, uh, uh, and, and I'll be sharing it. So I encourage people to to reach out and, and get the kids looking. This is awesome. Uh, you know, hey, Mike, I got la you know, two last questions that I want to ask you, and they go like this. The first one is, if you had so much going on that you become overwhelmed, how do you overcome the desire to quit? Well, I guess um, the most important thing for me has been to go to sort of, I guess, the reserve well of passion for why I was doing the thing in the first place. And, you know, maybe sometimes we in life, we go down roads and we realize that thing is not for us. And, you know, honestly, sometimes, I don't know if this is the advice you're looking for, but quitting is okay because 
you know, maybe you need to think about all the reasons you got down this road and then you got to go find something that you have such a deep desire for that when you do hit those sorts of obstacles that are inevitable, you will have the motivation and the passion to get over them. And, you know, honestly, building this has not been easy. It's taken, you know, quite a long time. Um, but I always go back to, you know, my motivation for doing it and my philosophical belief in why I'm doing it. And there's just no, the word quit doesn't even enter, you know, my vocabulary, but that's because it's, I'm built, it's on such a strong foundation for myself. And that has not been the truth about every other thing I've ever endeavored to do. Um, but, but having learned from some of those experiences, you know, I'm, I'm now on uh, terra firma with something like this. I love it. I love it. And I really like the way you started off. Sometimes it's your best option <laughs> and move on. <laughs> but uh, good stuff. I, uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If, uh, if so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Oh, wow. Um, well, I would love to say thank you to, uh, to uh, Miss Gell, uh, my uh, high school trig and pre-calc teacher. Um, I won't tell the whole story about that, but, uh, I guess Miss Dahlgren, my third grade teacher was like, let's call her my first teacher love. And I think she just made school, uh, something I just loved and could find, um, affirmation for who I was. And, you know, the idea of learning was, was cool. And, um, so Miss Dahlgren, you've always been my favorite and, uh, thank you. That is so awesome. Thanks for sharing, Mike. Uh, Mike, it was awesome talking with you. Thank you so much for sharing SLU with us. It, I mean, it's just so cool that you're making it possible to encourage all to make space part of their everyday conversations, thoughts, and dreams. Um, wishing you the very best in all you do. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate it. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.